of the Lord Jesus Christ during his own personal ministry, trying to gird up and make more firm in our minds when he said, go into all the world and make disciples and baptizing them and then teaching them to observe all things which I've commanded you. And so we're trying to work ourselves through the commandments that the Lord gave in his own personal ministry, and, and we're trying to do them in a chronological fashion. And I think it's important to do it that way. But uh, we're not uh, too far into the study. We're just into the second command and uh, part two of that. But if you look in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, we find the very first command during his public ministry. There was a few commands that he gave before while he was uh, in his time of uh, exclusion, I guess you'd say, a time of silence, time that was undercover, uh, time when he was baptized by John and was tempted by Satan. And, and then he begins his public ministry and Verse 15, which we studied a number of weeks ago, give us our, his first command. And he says in verse 15 of Mark chapter 1, the t in saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And so he's calling upon men to trust him, to repent of their sins, to be born again. And he's also going to have those that John prepared that he's going to be calling into further discipleship. But it's interesting that just two verses following repent, it says, now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. These would have been disciples of John. John preached repentance. His brother, John, saw Simon and, his, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And so some of the things that we noted in our last lesson was the fact that Jesus' heart for the lost world is immediately uh, brought to the forefront here and that uh, those disciples of John and those that were following him and had been born again, he wants them to become engaged in bringing the gospel, the good news uh, to the world. And he, as they were fishermen, he uses the phrase fishers of men in an evangelistic term. The Bible tells us that he came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Secondly, we, we spoke to you how that when he spoke here to these two individuals, Andrew and Simon, that this wasn't a call to the ministry, but it was a call to discipleship and and you can see that in the immediately follow, follow salvation. And you can see it also in the fact that it wasn't until Luke chapter 5 that 
they uh, forsake all and follow him, that they left their business completely because he went in Luke 5 and following this uh, command he gives here and they were still in the fishing business. And then thirdly, we talked last week about how he said, uh, I will make you to become uh, fishers of men. That we become fishers of men by following the Lord. That when we spend time with the Lord, then his heart be begins to become our heart. And his desires be begin to become our desires. And what he loves, we begin to love. And uh, it begins to change us on the inward, uh, inside. I have a, a note here. It says, no number of evangelism lessons, soul winning classes, or special scheduled evangelistic events will ever do what spending time in God's word and prayer will do. He only can make us fishers of men. And so well, I find when I'm not burdened about the lost, I'm not really caring about getting the gospel to the world, that it really is a great thermometer on how much I've been in God's word and how sensitive I am to God's will. And uh, it is when I follow him closely that opportunities to witness seem to arise every place. And when I follow him closely, uh, my heart begins to be touched by what his heart was touched by. And I look out on the multitudes and I become moved uh, with compassion. We've been following uh, a format in these lessons on what does the command say, where we just look at the words and try to flesh out the meaning of the words and what the, the verse means. And then we've noted, secondly, how other scriptures relate to this. And then finally, we end with the crisis, what we're calling the crisis, the moment of decision, the moment where we'll either obey this command or not obey this command. And we're still in part two where we're kind of fleshing out the uh, scriptures that are involved and some of the teachings that's involved. And uh, we want to see how this command, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men, relate to other scriptures. I found it fascinating in studying this a number of years ago and again studying it a couple of months ago that what he says there in verse 17, and Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. That actually it wasn't until chapter 6 and verse 7 that he sends them out to go fishing on their own. If you look there in chapter 6 and uh, Seven Mark, he says, um, and he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should not take, take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purses. And he shod with sandals and not to put on two coats. And he said, in what place soever you enter in the house, they're able abide till you depart that place. And whosoever shall receive you, whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when you depart then, shake off the dust from off their feet. 
But he's wanting them to go forth and go fishing on their own. And so what I want to do uh, in the majority of this lesson this morning is to see when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. What were some of the lessons that the Bible gives us? Surely there's many more lessons that they found by dwelling with the Lord. But what were some of the lessons that we find and the things that they experienced and, the, and with their heart saw and with their eyes saw, what were some things that they experienced uh, in between chapter 1, verse 17 and chapter 6, verse 7? And I think the first thing I want to point out to you is there in verse 21, and that, that Jesus had power to change lives. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 21, and they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day entered into the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as scribes. And that could have been one of the things I mentioned too, that, that he got back into the Word of God, stayed right in the Word of God, and they're astonished at exactly what the Word of God is saying. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? Who with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. That one of the things that the Lord allowed these 12 to see is that he could make a difference in people's lives. That he had the power to overcome satanic forces. I think we have part of that scene when he says, uh, I'll build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. The very strongholds of hell are not going to prevent God working in this world and the New Testament church getting the gospel out. I, I think also we have a very strong uh, statement concerning evangelism. When Paul said in the first few verses of Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is in the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that is written, the just shall live by faith. We live in a day when this is an idea among many, whether vocally said or just practiced, that somehow the word of God needs to be sheared up and, you know, uh, built up. And it's not actually accomplishing what we think it should accomplish. And, and we need to add to it and need to have programs. And uh, I was reading the other day about uh, a site that was telling you how to build your church and and there's about 
14 or 15 things mentioned, but not one time did it say we need to preach the clear gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ wasn't even mentioned. What was mentioned is marketing techniques in order to get people to come and advertising techniques and, and you know, in, in engaging people together techniques to build your church, but not once the gospel. But Paul said here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it has a power. And there's, a, there's something that the disciples begin to see very early in their ministry that God has the power to change people's lives. That he can take people that are consumed in, in a sin and when they repent and trust him, their lives are immediately changed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I remember years ago at my church where I grew up that there's this man whose wife uh, was a very godly woman. She married him when she was lost and he was lost and his parents were members of the Baptist church and his mom constantly talked to his wife and she eventually got saved. And for all the time I knew him from my, when I was one year old up until 18 or 19 before I went off to college, I think I could count on one hand how many times her husband had been to church. But she prayed for him constantly over and over and over. And, and I remember one Sunday morning when he was there and at the invitation time that he, ha he his hands, had his hands on the back of the pew and he was squeezing the pew so hard that his hands were turning white underneath conviction. And it was about two months later that he was gloriously saved. That, that God has the power to change lives. And he wants us to get it into our heart as we follow him and he makes us come fishers of men that we can trust that the gospel is working. He, he tells us in Isaiah that his word will not return void, that it will accomplish what he said it would accomplish. And so these disciples, as they're going along with him, they're experiencing him healing diseases and that was verifying his ministry. But more than that, underneath that, they're saying, hey, there's something supernatural about what Jesus Christ is doing. There's something supernatural about the Word of God. There's something supernatural how He has the ability to change people's lives. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Uh, we, uh, we, uh, we need to uh, preach and teach with authority and with uh, backing that what is being said here is absolutely true. And then, then look over in verse 38 of chapter 1. Another thing that he taught them. You see, they're, they're seeing people moved. People are being saved. Uh, you see there in verse 33 that all the people were gathered at the door of this, at this uh, one who had been healed. Uh, and they're flocking him. And verse 37, when they found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. And so he's very popular. Uh, people are wanting to get in on uh, healing. Uh, they're not necessarily wanting to repent of their sins. And then he said in verse 38, and he said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. That when we are following the Lord and become engaged in uh, fishing for men, 
we need to understand that this world's a lot bigger than our little neighborhood. And that red or yellow, black or white, they're all precious in his sight. For God so loved the world that people need the Lord. And you should be witnessing to me, both, both. Don't forget that little word, both. And Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and in other most parts of the world. That God wants us as becoming features of men to know that there's no people group, no one individual that is precious to him. They're all precious. And we need to look beyond our four acres, <laughs> or us four no more. We need to look beyond our own nose. We need to see that uh, people were lost, just like we're lost before he saved us. Must have been, I don't have time to do a lot of digging in here, but it must have been kind of outstanding and astonishing and perplexing to these men where they got involved with the Lord, they're following the Lord, and it said in verse 37, all men seek for thee, I mean, they're involved in something that's big, something that's meaningful, something where the world is coming to them. All men are seeking thee. And Jesus says, we've got to move on, boys. We all ought to be expecting to be moved on. Maybe not out of your region where you work and live, but maybe out of your little group of people. To move on. To think about ways that you can get down to the next town. The ways that you might infiltrate this fishing hole over here. And those truths were sinking into their heart. And you know what's going to happen? The Lord's going to be resurrected. He's going to go ascend back into heaven, resurrect from the grave on the third day. He's going to ascend back into heaven. And this little group is going to go on. The day of Pentecost is going to be a number added to them. But men are going to talk about them, and it says these are the ones that have turned the world upside down. Because they've been in the school of the Lord. 
And he understood the Lord's wishes that this town down the road is just as important as this town that we're in. And to go on down to the next town. And then in verses, uh, Mark chapter 129, we're going to see that the Lord had the ability to reverse the effects of the fall. In verse 19 of Mark 1, Forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of the fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. Again, let me say that we're not talking about actual healing today, though I do believe God's very much involved in medical things, and uh, doctors, and, and uh, in prayer. And I think when James says, call for the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil, and that word anoint there is not ceremonial anointing like the anointing of a king or anointing of a priest, but it's lipto, just as a good Samaritan poured in oil and wine, it was medicinal. And I think you can find out in James when you study that, that prayer and medical attention, the oil, can result in some miracles. But what I'm pointing out here is that they're seeing, yes, healing miracles, and we know that it tells us in the last part of Mark that he went forth confirming the word with signs following him, that actually these miracles verified the ministry of Jesus and it confirmed the words of Jesus. And when the Bible was completed, those miracles fell off but what I'm showing you here is that here is a woman sick unto death, and the Lord changed her. He completely changed the whole situation. And when she was on her bed nearly to die, shortly after that she rose and she's serving them. And then down in verse 40, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand. And touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And I think the disciples again saw that he had the ability to change the effects of the fall. That the fall brought sin and death and disease. And he's changing that. And um, they also surely saw there his compassion. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 it's the man with the palsy and how the four brought, brought him to him. And there's tremendous lessons in verse 5 when it says, when Jesus saw their faith, not his faith, but their faith, and how they, they just absolutely believed, if we can get this person to Jesus Christ, God will do something. And in a spiritual sense, if we can just get these people to listen to the gospel, 
we know that you can't listen to the gospel and not be changed. You'll either be hardened or you'll be softened. And so he's teaching them that he has the ability to change the effects of the fall. Look over again this very familiar verse, uh, but in 2 Corinthians, uh, well, you won't need to look there because you know it. But 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. When that person gets saved, he's not the person he used to be. And it says, uh, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Always back behind things. Behold, all things are become new. His thought patterns are new. His brain patterns are new. His desires are new. His love is new. His whole life is new. And so let's quit looking at what people are and begin to think about what they could be. And they saw that. And they knew they had not made a mistake by following him. This one spake like no other one. This one, his compassion is like none other man. His love was a love where he loved us to the end. This one was willing to give all. And then go to chapter 2 and verse 17. Well, in verse 16, and when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Bad dudes, considered traitors, horrible men. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole need no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Very powerful lesson that he's giving here. Very powerful lesson. First of all, there had to come With true, true, you know, John the Baptist preached repent for the kingdom of heaven in his hand. Jesus preached repent and the understanding that that was a matter of sin and need to be turned from. And so some point in their life, every one of those disciples came to abhor their sin. And how thrilling and how humbling and how overwhelming to realize that, yes, 
Yes, Jesus does eat with publicans and sinners. That he's not afraid to be around them. But he came to change him. And then he says, they that are whole need not a physician. He's telling them, we have no obligation to keep trying to convince the self-righteous man. Go deal with those who know they're sick. Don't concentrate on trying to just win the religious one. And I think sometimes, sometimes we look at the world and there may be this family that we know and they're not really churchgoers and they're not really saved, but they're morally really good people. And we say, Boy, that makes some good church members. When actually the best church members are the publicans and sinners. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? You've never said, boy, they'd, be, they'd make some good church members before? Constantly. But you know what? The Lord has reserved that for himself and he adds to the church daily, such as should be saved. And so he's teaching them some powerful truths here. Let's not overlook the publicans and sinners. We don't need to engage in their activity. But we need to open up our hearts to them and our lives to them. And we may need to become all things to all men that we might gain some. Powerful lessons he's teaching them here. This is not a movement where Jesus is building a kingdom, although in a sense he is, but it's much different than any kingdom that's ever been on the face of the earth. This is a soul-saving Endeavor. This was a salvage project where people are slowly sinking into hell. And so he tells them, don't waste your time in so many words with these righteous people until they're willing to listen. Let's go concentrate on people who are searching until they realize that they've not arrived when they think they have. Let's go concentrate on people who know they haven't arrived. And then in chapter 3 and verse 13, again, all before, all before he sent them out on their own, Chapter 3 and verse 13. And he goeth unto a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him. And he might send them forth to preach 
and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And then it names the 12. If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, And verse 28, 1 Corinthians 12 and 28, he's talking about members in the church, in the body, church body there at Corinth. And he makes some general statements about all church bodies. And God has set some in this church, in the assemblies, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that, miracles and gifts of healing helps governments, diversities, and tongues. And so he talks about first apostles and whether that's going to be first in priority or first in time. I think it could be partly both, but surely it's first in time because here in Mark chapter 3 and over in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, you find that he called these 12 and he ordained them and he called them apostles. I believe here is the very beginning of taking the, the stuff that John had prepared. Remember last week we talked about that John came to prepare people for the Lord. He's taken John's product, all of these that had John's baptism, and he organizes a church. Now, I believe that Wherever the gospel is preached, Paul said, even if it's preached out of contention and strife, he rejoices that it's being preached. And so God honors the gospel. But I think it's undisputable that he has given the orders for the endeavoring to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature to the New Testament church. And so one of the truths that he's letting these disciples see is that we need to be organized into an assembly of baptized believers because this thing that we're doing here goes way beyond you. I want you to get this now. We're so focused on right now. And we ought to be. But listen, we're doing something. If the Lord delays his coming, that's going to go way beyond who we are. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is so important to make priority things priority. You see, uh, the first generation Christians in a work that's being developed towards an organization of a church First-generation Christians follow the missionary. 
Second generation Christians follow the first generation Christians. And what the first generation Christians display is this is spiritual. This is what we need to be, they're going to also do that. Third generation Christians follow second generation Christians and fourth generation Christians follow the third generation Christians. And there's very few Baptist churches that are 100 years old. And that's the heartbreaking. This church is growing close to being 40 years old. It's important the stands and the practices a New Testament church takes. And so he put them in a church. He wants to get glory in and through the church. And then look over in Mark chapter 3 and verse 31. Mark 3 and 31. Then came then, there came then his brethren and his mother, standing without, and sent unto him, calling him. And so he's preaching, ministering to people. His relatives don't want to come in. They're outside. They send in, say, hey, tell Jesus to come out. And the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. They say, hey, your mom, your mom and your brothers are out there. And he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them, which sat before about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for we shall do the will of God, the same as my brother, my sister, and mother. Now, Jesus is not ostracizing his family, Jesus is not being disrespectful to his family. But um, he is saying this. And I think we need to get it because I think that we get clicky, clickish sometimes in our own hearts. But you, who are my brothers and sisters in the Lord, are more important than my own family. I think of Adham that we saw. And he said, I'm born again. I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. I'm going to be baptized. And his wife refused to come. And his family refused to come. You know what Adham needed after that baptism? Just what Noah gave him a hand around him and hugging him and saying, I love you, brother. I'm praying for your family. 
Some of us are better of that than others. Some of our background may influence us. And some of us, I, myself, we uh, think that we're the Lone Ranger and we can get along without it. But actually you can't. And so he's saying here, this thing, this thing about following me and I'll become, make you become fishers men, it's not mechanical. It's not, it's not a program that pushes out products. No, there's going to be tears. And there's going to be joy. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be the need to love and need to love enough to say, listen, this is what the Word of God says, and this is where you're at, and I'm concerned for you. Well, he's trying to build a church. He's trying to make fishers of men. Then in Mark chapter 4, we won't read all this, but this is a parable of the sower, where the different soil types on the wayside and on the shallow ground and in the area where weeds were at and then on the fertile ground where they produced. And you know, of all the discourses of the Lord's concerning evangelism, and, and maybe this is not preached on enough when we come to evangelism, but the discord about the, the parable of the sower is probably the greatest discord of the Lord Jesus Christ of all the discords concerning evangelism. Because he's telling them, here's what to expect. A lot of sowing. And only one-fourth of that may be reaping. That the gospel seed is going to be taken away. That, that, that when you follow me and I'm going to make you to become fishers of men, we didn't pack a picnic basket... In fact, he told them one place to put on their swords. That not everybody's going to believe. There's a realism about this. We think, we think that, uh, you know, we've got the greatest message in the world, and we do. And why wouldn't all the world be clamoring to come to get the message? Uh, because uh, they don't like what it's telling them. You know, the message is actually not telling them that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. As most of the evangelism programs begin with back in the 1970s and 80s, Bill Bright, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, God loves the world. But your plan for your life is not so great if you don't repent of your sins and trust in him. And so he tells about evangelism. And then in Mark chapter 4 and verse 21, and we're going to look, this is going to be one of the commands that we look at later. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? 
For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifest, and neither was there anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. And he's going to tell them later on to, uh, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. And so he tells them in Matthew, let your light show shine a command before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we'll look at this again and say these same comments, but uh, it says a city that's set on the hill cannot be hid. Naturally, the light, naturally light shines from a hill. And then he says, and he say, so he said, just do what you're naturally saved to do. And then he says, okay, you don't light a candle and then stick a, a grain measuring basket, a bushel, it's called here, it's quite smaller than what we call a bushel. You don't light a candle and then put a bushel over it. And I'm thinking about when I teach this to bring me a, a candle and a little wicker basket and stick it on over that candle. What's going to happen? It's going to smoke. It's going to burn. And it's going to be very destructive. And it's very, very destructive. not to get involved in what the Lord saved you for and to try to keep your life hidden as you would hide a candle under a bushel. It makes no sense. But it sure messes up your life. It messes it up. And then another very interesting verse Chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus had been over in Gadara. This man is saved out of the tombs. The people, well, the people are, uh, I think maybe this is a different one. Uh, this is the one where the man's called Legion and all the pigs run into the ocean. And when he, Matthew 5, 18, and when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. I mean, he just got saved, man. He just got, he just got uh, in his right mind. And after all, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And he said, let me get in the boat. Let me go with you. I want to follow you. Now be it Jesus suffered him not. But saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and have compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Decapolis, Deca, ten, Polis, a region or a city region, a ten city region. And Jesus says, uh, My plan for you, it's not that you follow me where I make you become fishers of men, but my plan for you is to go and tell what happened to you 
immediately. And so I think the disciples got this idea that, that uh, you know, this thing about spreading the gospel and spreading the good news, it's not just about going through a long program here, spending so much time between Mark 1 and Mark 6 before he sends them out, that you don't have to spend this a massive amount of time. But when you get saved, though you may not know a lot of doctrine, you can personally tell what he did for you. And if you look over in chapter 7 in verse 3, it's very interesting, I think. And, and chapter 7 in verse 3, uh, oh, this marks. I got the wrong verse. But um, you'll find out that later, Jesus, not too many chapters later, Jesus went to Decapolis. And I believe this man had prepared uh, the way. And so when we get to chapter 6 and 6, he says, okay, guys, I've showed you lots. You've experienced a lot. Now go fishing. And he sends them forth on their own. So now we come to the crisis. Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. It's a command. Should I do it? Do I feel like it? Well, the king doesn't care if you feel like it. But he does care whether you obey. If you're saved here this morning, you've received at least two calls. You've received the call to salvation, to repent and believe the gospel. You've received this call to come after me and I'll make you become fishers of men. We've become new creatures. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. Salvation affects our walk. Salvation affects our talk. It affects our attitude and our desires. And as we come more and more like the Lord, then we more and more willing to follow him and we take upon his mindset. And so if you're saved here, and we know probably when you first got saved, you were really burdened about people that you knew who weren't saved. But somehow we've not continued in that mindset and in that following. One man said, if you aren't fishing, you're not following. Pretty uh, confrontational. Pretty much an area where I don't want to go. But if you're not fishing, we're not following. If Jesus had the power to stop the wind and the waves, to cast out demons, 
and that authority, then uh, he has authority to say, follow me. It's the core responsibility of our lives. I want you to think about what he didn't say. He didn't say, go to church and I'll make you fishers of men. Not putting down going to church. He did not say, study theological books and I'll make you a fisher of men. He did not say, adhere to a set of doctrinal beliefs and I'll make you a fisher of men. Nothing wrong with any of those, but none of those produce fishers of men. He didn't even say, read the scriptures and I'll make you a fisher of men. He did not say those things because those things are not the very core and essence of what a disciple is. None of those things guarantee us change, going to church, theology books, your doctrinal beliefs. None of those things guarantee a change. But following Jesus Christ will change you. Getting in his word, getting on your knees, acknowledging that it's only by me walking in the spirit that I fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? And I'm in the spirit now, buddy. No. It's, Lord, if you don't help me, I can't get it done. You're going to have to do something in my life. You're going to have to take over. So it involves forsaking something. It involves a new direction. And so we're at a crisis point. Are we going to get on our knees before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be a fisher of men. I want to be able to talk to my family. I want to be able to see open doors and go through them. I want to... I want to I want to know what to say and how to say it. And, and Lord, I don't want to be a, a vacuum cleaner salesman. I don't want to just have a little formula that I give out and, and think that if I say this and this and this and say, you just say, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and you'll be saved. I don't want that because that doesn't work. Well, I want your hand upon me. I want to say the right thing at the right time. And I want to follow you. Or we'll say, I'm glad I'm saved. My candle, I'm going to keep hidden. And a crisis comes. And it may not come, when I think when we talk about these crisis moments, it's not like when I talk about the doctor says that they've come to a crisis, they're either going to get better or worse, and it only happens one time in their life. No, these crisis moments come. <laughs> Numerous times. Are we going to do what the Lord says or not? And so, we'll either follow him and become fishers of men, or we'll join the Demas crowd, of whom it was said, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, 
and was departed unto Thessalonica. Either now or when you wake up in glory, you're going to realize this. Once you got saved, you never were your own. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. May God help me and help you to pursue after Jesus. To spend time with Jesus. To fight the tyranny of the urgent. All these urgent things that's got to be done when the best things are put off. And to stay close to the Lord. And whether you're 18 or 30-something or 40-something or 72 years old, the battle still rages. And it's only won by surrender.